Today's episode of The Advanced Route is brought to you by GameTime. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think NFL tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with GameTime, the ticket-buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. GameTime is the leader in last-minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download GameTime in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last-minute tickets. Hello, everybody, and welcome into another episode of Advanced Route, the show here at The Athletic, where we bring stats and scouting together to help you win your fantasy football games. I am your host, Michael Beller, joined, as always, by my trusty co-host, Emery Hunt. Emery, heading into uh, week six here. How you feeling, my friend? Feeling good, man. It feels like the season is just whizzing on by. I mean, it really does. It really feels like that now. It feels like that always. And uh, it's helped along by uh, some of the uh, haves and have nots sort of announcing themselves uh, earlier, I feel like, uh, than we've seen in in most NFL seasons, right? I mean, we already know a handful of truly atrocious teams. We've seen some monster spreads, uh, whether it's been Washington on the bad side, Miami on the bad side, the Jets, although hopefully they'll be a little bit more competitive now that they're getting Sam Darnold back. But it uh, feels like we have a really good handle on the great and the terrible teams. And now we just got to let the middle shake out a little bit. Yeah, absolutely, man. And when you see stuff like this going on, it's a lot of moving and shaking. But at the end of the day, a lot of things are starting to become clearer to us uh, as we cover the game. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a fun first five weeks of the season, a fun first third of the season. Excited to see what the next two thirds of the year holds for us. Uh, you can find Emery on Twitter at FBall Game Plan. You can get me at M Beller. Uh, reminder uh, again, if you're listening to this for free, you still have the uh, opportunity to get forty percent off. You go to theathletic.com/slash/theadvancedroute. That's going to give you access to everything uh, at the Athletic, including our brand spanking new fantasy basketball draft kit got a feeling a lot of you out there if you're a fantasy football player might be fantasy basketball players as well the NBA season two weeks uh, away from when Emery and I are taping this on Tuesday afternoon so uh, if you're getting ready for your fantasy basketball drafts uh, Eric Wong has put together an excellent draft kit for you uh, at The Athletic and you got to be a subscriber to get it so go ahead and get to theathletic.com slash the advanced route get yourself 40% off an annual subscription. Emery on this episode of The Advanced Route uh Something came to me when I, when I was watching football on Sunday. Uh, we saw Mike Evans get zero targets. We saw Will Fuller have this huge game. Uh, and, you know, across, I've, we always talk about in fantasy the pairing of wide receivers and, you know, how one receiver affects his teammate and vice versa. And I thought it would be an interesting topic for us to handle here at the advanced route. How are passing attacks balanced? Uh, how does uh, the presence of a star wide receiver affect the guy on the other side? How does the emergence of a new great wide receiver affect a previously entrenched star? Uh, I think it'd be a fun thing for us to get into. And so I pulled out a, a few groupings across the league that I think uh, hit on every point of this discussion, or at least some of the most interesting points uh, 
as I was thinking about them. And the first one to me is in Tampa Bay with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, uh, two excellent receivers coming into the year. Uh, we all thought of Mike Evans as definitely the wide receiver one there. And even though Chris Godwin has had an excellent season, I don't think anything has changed. But it's worth evaluating what the duo has done thus far. Mike Evans, 18 catches on 38 targets for 368 yards and four touchdowns. He is fantasy's wide receiver 12 in half PPR scoring, which is pretty much the industry standard these days. Chris Godwin, 33 catches on 42 targets, 511 yards and six touchdowns, a half PPR, full PPR, standard, doesn't matter what you play. Chris Godwin is the top scoring fantasy receiver through five weeks this season. Uh, I want to start with this question, and it really gets at a lot of different situations. How much of Godwin's emergence this season do you think we can point back to Evan's presence on the other side of the field? I think you could point to it a lot, man, because if if let's say if Evans wasn't on his team, then Godwin would see a lot of the, the coverage or, you know, they were game plan for Godwin more so and try to force Rashad Perriman or, you know, Justin Watson to beat them or, you know, try to funnel things toward the tight end to make them beat them throwing the football uh, or catching the football. I'm sorry. So, yeah, having Mike Evans there definitely helps out a guy like Godwin because he's going to what they're doing is essentially challenging you, your the off receiver, to win your matchup more often than not. Teams will come in and say, hey, we're not going to let player X beat us. So player Y is going to have to have a great day. And when you have player Y doing what he is doing, it makes them now, okay, maybe this series we try to tilt toward Y, then X goes off, then you're trying to say, okay, well, let me tilt, tilt toward X, Y goes back off again. So now you're stuck defensively because you have two really good receivers. We see this play out in Minnesota uh, when they were in their heyday, when they had Jake Reed, Chris Carter, and Randy Moss. It just makes it so tough to defend if everybody is able to win their particular matchup. So how quickly or how will teams make changes on that? Uh, this week, uh, the Buccaneers uh, play the Panthers. That's a game that's over in London. Um, how quickly are the Panthers going to say, now we're not disrespecting Mike Evans. Of course, Mike Evans is one of the, I don't know, 10 best receivers in the NFL somewhere in that neighborhood, maybe even better. Maybe you could put him in an even more exclusive class. But how quickly do they say, we can't just make this a stop Evans defense. We have to account for what Chris Godwin can do to us. I think that'll happen moving forward you know teams want to see how consistent a guy is before they start to you know dedicate resources to him and so godwin has proven to be consistently good he's shown up each and every week and now that makes you okay well we have to really take him uh as serious as we would a guy like you know mike evans so teams will start to try to figure out ways to cover them because you're not necessarily doubling mike evans every week in every game and all throughout the game you're obviously he's going to have some one-on-one matchups. He's going to have a lot of one-on-one matchups. Is that maybe you know during the play they may rotate coverage toward one side, tilt it toward the other side, maybe blitz off one side to take away an, an option. So they're they're going to do creative things, try to you know essentially cover one guy. But if they if they just sit back in in standard coverage, which is rare, they may do that on rundowns. Um, but I, I just think that we'll see team really take both receivers seriously uh, moving forward. 
Yeah, that's a good uh, point you brought up. How often does a guy like Mike Evans or DeAndre Hopkins or Odell Beckham or Julio Jones, guys like that, how often do they see true one-on-one coverage in a game? And let's just assume like a league average corner. We're not talking Jalen Ramsey or Josh Norman back when he was the shutdown guy or Darrell Rivas when he was the shutdown guy. Just a, you know, not great, not bad, league average corner. How often is that guy going to get true one-on-one coverage against a Mike Evans? Well, I would say it's probably maybe 50% of the time, true one-on-one coverage. Um, You may see bracketed coverage. You know, they may try to pass him off to to another player. Like, let's say if you're going to jam him at the line, once he releases, you pass him off to another guy. So kind of almost like a combo cover. Sometimes they call it banjo cover. Um, But true one-on-one, I would say about probably about a good 50%. So let's look at this from Mike Evans' point of view then. Um, We talk all the time in fantasy world, uh, and a lot of times it comes up when guys are injured. Uh, But in this case, does Godwin's emergence bode well for Evans' future this season? Uh, In other words, I guess what I'm saying is, does Evans benefit from Godwin drawing attention away from him? Or from a purely fantasy uh, perspective where we just love volume and give me all the targets, would he be better off getting five more targets that are maybe of lesser value. I think you'll see Evans start to have more as Godwin is starting to have his success. I think Godwin's emergence will definitely help out Evans. So this is something where the Tampa is now maybe in a position where, uh, where teams have to treat them both like number one guys, like true number one guys. Yeah. You saw, again, it's going to be a situation like we saw in Arizona you know, with Larry Fitzgerald and Anquan Bolden, you know, where you where you have guys that can both win in their own respective way and they're both legitimate threats. So now you're balanced to both sides of the field. So you're not relegated to where, okay, if Evans is on his side, this is nine times out of ten where they're going to go with the football in a passing game. You really have to worry about both sides. So they become so balanced as a result. Um, and when I sent you the uh, the rundown of what our show is going to look like, I, I headlined each of these situations we're going to talk about uh, with its own, what I thought, sort of clever name. And I called this one uh, the passing of the torch. Uh, now, I'm not necessarily saying that this is a true passing of the torch, that now Chris Godwin is the number one receiver there in Tampa. Um, but how quickly can that change? How quickly can a team think of uh, you know, we had this clear one-two delineation coming into the season, but now maybe that's flipped, or now uh, at least the two is now in a co-equal number one with our top guy. It it changes pretty, you know, frequently. You know, you may have a situation where guys are starting to emerge, and you want to get him more involved, more touches. Um, you know, you see that a lot in a running game, where you know a back is having having you know successful weeks. And you kind of want to get him more involved. Uh, you saw the Saints do this a little bit with uh Deontay Harris he was strictly their punt returner kick returner and then I want to say after that Seahawks game you saw them use him more on the regular offense I believe against Dallas and so you saw that for that game but you didn't see that necessarily for the Bucks game so you know it it all depends you know it it, again uh, this is all they do is game plan for opponents Mm -hmm. so it changes week to week um, just uh, really quick before we move on to the next uh, topic here, uh, just uh, do me a favor and quell the fears of any Mike Evans people out there. Mike Evans is still, uh, even with Chris Godwin doing his thing, Mike Evans is still uh, maybe not quite as elite as they come, but a top 10 receiver in the NFL, yes? Yeah, he's still Mike Evans. Like, don't 
<laughs> be so married to our prisoner of the moment. Just he's still Mike Evans. All right. Well, uh, the next guy uh, or the next two guys fit that same sort of thing as well. DeAndre Hopkins is still DeAndre Hopkins. However, uh, this one I'm calling the standout game because Will Fuller just had a monster performance in week five for the Texans. 14 catches on 16 targets for 217 yards and three touchdowns, 46.7 points uh, in half PPR fantasy leagues. This is one of the biggest receiving games that we've seen in years. And uh, I think a lot of people were expecting that game to come from DeAndre Hopkins in what was uh, an excellent matchup for Houston against Atlanta. But it came from Will Fuller. Now, DeAndre Hopkins still you know, ha- had a, a good game, uh, seven catches for 88 yards. But by comparison, nothing compared to Will Fuller. Similar to what we talk about with Chris Godwin uh, emerging and having this breakout season and Mike Evans having something to do with that. How do you take that down into one individual game? How much is DeAndre Hopkins' presence in one single game responsible for Will Fuller being able to have this monster game that we haven't seen from anyone in quite some time? It's still a part of the process. You know, yeah, he's still responsible for a lot of that because Obviously, DeAndre Hopkins is the premier number one, top three receivers in the game. So anytime you have that on your team, everyone else has an opportunity for a big day. For Will Fuller, it's just all about him being healthy. And for him, he seems to be a a better version of Ted Ginn, uh, where a lot of his success is going to be on deep shots. So I guess if you're in a best ball league, um, Will Fuller is your best, one of your best players because it seems like he doesn't catch his, he doesn't catch your standard hitch and then make a move, try to get upfield, or your, you know, your in route or your slant or something like that. For him, it's either deep over route, straight takeoff, post, corner. It's never anything short with him. No crossers, nothing like that. For him, it seems to be always a deep ball, you know, in some shape or form. So best ball is is with is your best option with Will Fuller. But the reason why you kind of, you know, people are are always kind of hesitant about Will Fuller because you don't know if he's going to be out there for a full game, let alone a full season. Because if he is, then, man, he's going to be a a, – he's easily a 1,200-yard receiver. Yeah, he uh, got his uh, got himself uh, quite a bit in that direction uh, with that game against the Falcons. Uh, let's say you're Bill O'Brien and you're scheming and you know what you've got in DeAndre Hopkins and you know the sort of attention he's going to draw. Uh, how do you do things uh, to get Will Fuller um, you know, open? Not, not necessarily get him open, but get him a scheme place for him. Take advantage of the fact that these teams are going to be doubling or bracketing DeAndre. We know we've got a mismatch with Will Fuller on the other side. How do you plan for that from week to week, and how do you get him games where suddenly he is just exploding the way he did uh, this past week? With Will Fuller, and this is this is why I'm not surprised he had a big game against Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta, to me, has weaknesses at the safety position, obviously because Keanu Neal is out for the season. So you're down one key safety, which weakens them on the corner because you know, they're going to have to figure out ways to put an extra guy in there. And maybe that guy isn't as apt in coverage as Keanu Neal is or as, you know, as an enforcer as he is, you know. So maybe you lose someone um, in coverage as far as deep coverage. And now you have to put him shallow. And now you really put strain on your deep safety when you're playing a guy like DeAndre Hopkins or Will Fuller. So for, for Houston, looking at how weakened Atlanta was in the secondary in conjunction with their inability to get 
true pressure made for Will Fuller to go off. Because one, you may not have anyone in your secondary that is fast from point A to point B as Will Fuller. Plus, you're weaker on the back end and you already had a pseudo weakness. So because of the matchup, it was it was tailor made for him to have a big game. So this goes back to a little bit of what we talked about last week with matchups that uh, this not only uh, is Will Fuller going to benefit from having Hopkins draw a lot of attention, but that Atlanta was an opponent that was ripe for the exploiting, given what Houston brings to the table in their passing game from week to week. Yeah, because let's say if they're playing Green Bay um, and we know Green Bay has excellent talent at corner and at safety and some of their and a lot of their, their safeties can, you know, cover light corners as well. So Will Fuller will probably not have the blowout game that he had against Atlanta because of that reason. But if you put Will Fuller against New Orleans, where that third corner is P.J. Williams, now you have a situation where he has the big game, which we saw him have in week one. How do uh, receivers and Will Fuller being the case here in point uh, take advantage of having a true alpha on the other side of the field, the way that he does every single week with Hopkins out there? Well, because a, lo- a lot of coverage and attention will be focused on limiting Hopkins, Hopkins from having the blowout game. So the defense is really challenging you to, to get yourself open and also catch the football. Because if they could take the, away the number one option and have success on the opposite end with coverage, it, it pressure to get back there and, and get to the quarterback. So they really challenge when you have a true alpha, it puts a lot of pressure on your number two and number three to to really do their work and get open. And if guys are doing that, it forces the opponent to change how they cover you. And thus, things tend to work a little bit more smoothly offensively. Yeah, Will Fuller definitely did that, making the Falcons pay. And they're a team that is uh, designed to be able to get multiple guys open. Will Fuller, Kenny Stills, when he comes back healthy, Kiki Kuti operating underneath. Uh, might be a blow-up spot for DeAndre Hopkins this week against the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Emery, let's move on to our next subject here. I call this one the absence. Uh, and the way I think about that is coming into the year in Cincinnati, we had A.J. Green, the clear number one, Tyler Boyd, the clear number two. A.J. Green suffers an injury, and that elevates Tyler Boyd to a clear number one. How does that change for Tyler Boyd? How does that change the outlook for Tyler Boyd? Because he was going to be Will Fuller, right? He was going to be this guy who um, was a potentially emerging wide receiver, uh, but had a clear, entrenched number one guy ahead of him. Now he becomes that number one guy without quite the track record. How does that change what his outlook is going into a season? Well, you have to understand the personnel and going back and studying Tyler Boyd, you know, scouting him when he was at Pitt and throughout his career. And you knew one thing about him. He was a perfect route runner. So he was going to always be open. You know, he's going to always find dead spots in zones, work himself open versus man. I thought he did a great job of sacrificing for the football. So he was going to lay out for for passes, you know, die for passes, uh, not be afraid to go over the middle of the field. And he had experience as a punt returner, which tells me also that he's very good after the catch. So it didn't matter if he was your number one or your number two or your number three. He could play all three spots because of his skill set. He's good before the catch, after the catch. So this wasn't a surprise to me, him elevating into that number one role. I knew he was going to thrive because he had the skill set to do so. When you pair him with an A.J. Green, it it gives you that true classic one-two 
receiver. You have your deep threat, your, your alpha and AJ Green. You have your guy that does a lot of damage in the intermediate area. And you have your, you know, take the top off the defense guy in John Ross when he's healthy and out there. So they really had the perfect one, two, three combo, but Green gets hurt. Ross can't stay healthy. So Boyd steps in and becomes the number one, which he was at Pitt, and he was able to handle that role in college. And so this was just a natural progression for him, and I'm glad he's having the success. He nearly had the game winner, what looked to be the game winner last week against Arizona. Yeah, definitely an impressive game, his best game of the season to date, even without that near game winner. Uh, Last year in 14 games, Boyd had 76 catches on 108 targets for 1,028 yards and seven touchdowns. Uh, That came, uh, let's go with this year's stats, Uh, 37 catches on 53 targets for 406 yards and the one touchdown. We can leave the touchdowns aside. We know that that's a, a stat that has a lot of variance, especially receiving touchdowns from season to season. But per game last year, 5.4 catches, 7.7 targets, 73.4 yards. Per game this year so far, 7.4 catches, so an increase of two, 10.6 targets, an increase of nearly three, 81.2 yards, an increase of about eight yards. How much of that do you think owes to A.J. Green being injured and Boyd being the number one guy for this uh, this part of the season for Cincinnati? How much of that owes to just his natural growth? Uh, how much of it is a combination of the two? Uh, how do we try to piece this together and figure out what this might be for Tyler Boyd once A.J. Green is back on the field? I think it's just a natural progression of, of you know him growing into the role. Uh, even though it's a new coaching staff, he's still a, a savvy vet. You don't have the pieces around you like you would expect to have going into that season with A.J. Green and John Ross, you can truly count on, okay, my my skill set, you know, I could always count on that. My technique, my ability to get open, my ability to do things after the catch, my hands are, are excellent. So he he is a guy that I always say talent supersedes system, and he's that guy. So, yeah, when, when A.J. Green is out there, Boyd is still going to be Boyd things. You just – you. you you hope that Dalton continues to look to Boyd and now has built up even more trust in what Boyd, Boyd brings to the table because he's always been this guy. It's just now he's starting to get the opportunity. Yeah, really started to click for him last year, and now he's getting even more opportunity this year reflected in those three more targets per game. Uh, how do you – I mean, it seems silly to say how do you get – and A.J. Green back into the fold, right? I mean, this guy's been a superstar receiver since the day he set foot in the league, what, eight years ago, nine years ago, something like that. But now that you have Tyler Boyd, who showed these things last year and clearly this year is showing that he can be a a real number one guy in this league, how do you then fit uh, Green back in so you are getting the most out of him but not relegating Boyd to a role that he's clearly proved himself bigger than? I don't think it's, it's that complicated. I mean, A.J. Green comes back. A.J. Green sees a lot of the targets, you know, because A.J. Green is is who he is. But it also creates a, a unique situation for a defense because if they try to focus solely on A.J. Green, we've seen what Tyler Boyd can do. He's no longer a secret. So I think the passing game, obviously, when they get their number one guy back, is going to continue to flourish uh, because of the talent that they have. You just wish that John Ross was out there, too healthy because it looked as though earlier in the year he was starting to come into his own as well so when you have three guys that can that can get open and, and eat and bring a little something different to the table your passing game is going going to thrive so I, I'm excited to when uh, AJ Green comes back because I know Boyd is still going to be you know that dude along with AJ Green 
A little off topic, but can Auden Tate be that third guy, assuming John Ross is out for the six to eight week timetable that they uh, have him diagnosed for? I can see him being a, you know, a, a target, you know, monster, you know, because he doesn't have the he doesn't have the obvious skill that a John Ross has because John Ross has world class speed. But he can be a, a bigger inside receiver. Yeah, I could see him, you know, getting some continuing to get maybe three targets a game. Uh, because that big body proving himself to be competent uh, in the passing game. Because, again, he's been on this practice squad for two years, I believe, uh, even though, again, new coaching staff. But, you know, this is his second year with this organization, uh, working with A.J. Green and, and Boyd and, and those guys. So I can see him still being worked into the offense because he's he's slowly uh, showing consistency uh, since he's gotten the opportunity. We were going to get to test this uh, elevation of a number of a clear number two to a clear number one in a really fun way in Pittsburgh this year with Antonio Brown being gone, Juju Smith-Schuster becoming now the new number one receiver, a guy who many of us thought was going to be uh, just a huge fantasy player this year. You had plenty of people saying he was going to be the wide receiver one with Antonio Brown gone. Obviously. Uh, evaluating that is going to be incomplete this season because of the Ben Roethlisberger injury. Now they're turning to their third quarterback in Devlin Hodges. Uh, but I, I want to take us back to the summer and take us back uh, to what we think about uh, when we're in the off season and when we're prepping uh, for fantasy drafts. Uh, when you look at a situation where this happens, what should we be looking for in the in the preseason? Uh, to think uh, of a number two moving to a number one, even if it's not as clear cut as Juju uh, with AB being gone. What should we be looking for for, you know, this guy was a number two, now he can become a number one, or this guy's a number two, he is the number one, he's ready for the role. Is there anything that sticks out more than the rest that tells us that this guy is ready for the prime time? The quarterback situation. If you have a good quarterback, he's going to find that number one <laughs> option. That's as simple as I can put it. <laughs> hey, that makes sense. I, that's that's why I would love to see. Yeah, that's like uh, you know, no offense to Ben Roethlisberger, but uh, that's like the, the why I'm so sad about his injuries because I would have loved to have seen Juju with a quarterback like Roethlisberger uh, being able to flourish as a number one receiver. And right now, now we're not going to get to see that until next year. And then you know, who knows what the quarterback situation in Pittsburgh is going to be? Right, because now you know if you're Ro- Roethlisberger, say he's going to come back and. At you know when he was out there quietly, he was wasn't the same Roethlisberger to begin with. Now he's a year older, coming off an injury. How effective could he be? Mason Rudolph had a scary concussion. Very. Uh, who knows when he's going to be back and comfortable enough to play? And who knows? They may strike lightning in the bottle with uh, Devlin Hodges, who won the Walter Payton Award last year, which is the FCS equivalent of the Heisman Trophy, after breaking Steve McNair's all-time passing record at the FCS level, which stood since 1994. So the dude got some talent. Uh, So we'll see. I'm excited to see how he gets out there and, and balls out. Yeah, you have a great piece on Devlin Hodges available on The Athletic right now. Again, uh, that's uh, for subscribers. So uh, athletic.com slash the advanced route. Get yourself 40% off if you're not a subscriber yet. And read Emery's great piece on Devlin Hodges. We move on now to our last uh, subject here. I call this one the separation of equals, and it's in Minnesota with Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs. Go back to 2016, uh, the first year that these two guys uh, really started to emerge in Minnesota. Now, they were still the 2-3 in targets for the team that year. Number one in targets for the Vikings in 2016 was Kyle Rudolph, believe it or not. But uh, that year, Adam Phelan had 69 catches, 
uh, on 92 targets, 967 yards, and five touchdowns. Steph Diggs, 84 for, uh, on 112 for 903 and three touchdowns. So pretty equal numbers across the board. Uh, then the next year, um, we had uh, Thielen up to 91 catches for 1,276 yards and four touchdowns. Diggs, 64 catches, 849 yards, and eight touchdowns. So we start to see a little bit of divergence there with Thielen being a more consistent yardage and reception guy. Uh, last year, these guys were beasts, uh, but Thielen still a touch ahead at 113 catches and 1,373 yards. Diggs at 102 catches for 1,021 yards. This year, Obviously, the offense is really leaning heavily on Dalvin Cook, but we've got Thielen at 20 grabs, 309 yards, and four touchdowns. Diggs at 16 for 253 and one touchdown. Now, I don't think that Adam Thielen is unquestionably a better receiver than Stephon Diggs. I think you can make an argument that Thielen's the better. I think you can make the argument that Diggs is the better. I think you can make the argument that uh, they are equal receivers who have different skill sets and bring different things to the table. But clearly, Thielen has been the more productive receiver. There's no arguing with the math over the last three years. So when you have two guys like this on the same team, largely the same personnel, is there any explaining how they start to diverge a little bit in the numbers they're putting up? I think it's more attention being shown to Diggs as opposed to Thielen. And it's a a sad thing because going into a game, I'm pretty sure teams will, you know, and corners, and safeties probably look at feeling as, oh, this is this is a white dude. <laughs> He's not gonna beat me. We could, we could, you know, we gotta worry about digs. And it's stealing that's cutting you up the entire doggone game. Cause quietly, Thielen and Diggs have the same skill set. So uh that's what makes this situation unique, which is why you see the numbers look as similar as they do. It's just that for you know, for whatever reason, whether it's because he's a white dude or because he came from you know a division two program. Thielen doesn't get the respect, the automatic respect as Diggs would just walking out there on the field. So Thielen is like, all right, cool. Y'all continue to disrespect me. I'm going to continue to to slice and dice you up until you give me my respect. And when you do, now you got to worry about the dude that you thought you had to worry about coming into the game, but you actually have to worry about him now. And he's doing damage as well. So I like what they have. They have a great two-man game uh, between, you know, Thielen and Diggs. Is that people still don't think Diggs could, uh, I mean, Thielen can play just like Cooper cup. Like people still don't give him the respect he deserves. And he just consistently gets open, catches the ball and finds himself with a gang of yards uh, in the passing game. So I don't think it's necessarily Thielen is a better player than, than uh, Diggs. You know, Diggs may see certain coverages. So therefore Thielen is going to have the optimum coverage and he wins his one-on-one matchup consistently. And when they start to give him that respect in the game, then that's when you start to see Diggs pick up the slack and start to go off as well. So they kind of play off well, you know, with one another. Um, it's just a sad, you know, thing that they have a quarterback that, you know, he could he tends to lock on to a guy, and, and that could you know be frustrating because some like just for instance, this past game I was at the Giants Vikings game. And away from the ball, Diggs was just, you know, having his way. But, you know, Kirk Cousins was locked on one side of the field and didn't go away from him. Now, Diggs didn't, you know, throw a hissy fit or anything like that. He just continued to win his battle. And when the ball came his way, he was there. So, you know, you just want to see someone that that at quarterback that can scan both sides of the field and someone that's confident in his protection that he can get the ball, go from front side to back side and get the ball to the open guy. 
And it's tough because both guys tend to get open a lot because they're very good route runners and, and really good receivers. Shouldn't the word be out on Adam Thielen at this point? You would think so, but the word <laughs> should be out on uh, Christian McCaffrey. The word should be out on Julian Edelman. Like, you know, this dude still doesn't get his respect. You know, was, oh, well, he's just running short stop routes and option routes. Like, okay, cool. But if you know that, why you are continuing to let him continue to do the same thing? You know, it's because he's good at it. And so I, I just, it's it's one of those things where, you know, People just don't give the respect to him. How much of uh, of what we've seen from Thielen uh, in comparison with Diggs the last couple of seasons uh, has to do with uh, w- what you say with Kirk Cousins locking in on someone, uh, not uh, being comfortable necessarily scanning the entire field? Uh, how much of it owes to that and Diggs just sort of being, unfortunately, left out there even though he's getting open nine times out of ten? Yeah, that, I think that's the majority of it. You know, it's just you know, who gets open first and who who the quarterback sees first. You know, so I, I just think that's the bigger thing. And and to Thielen's credit, he's a bigger receiver, so he's he can body up a, a, a cornerback or DB a little bit more than than Diggs. You know, Diggs is a not a small guy because Diggs pretty cut up too. He's two hundred pounds, but Thielen is a taller guy, so you have a little bit more of a of a, of a radius to throw the ball to to him more so than Diggs. Uh, we talk about this from a fantasy perspective. Again, Steph Diggs, uh, we know he, I mean, last year we're talking about a dude who went for 102 catches over 1,000 yards and nine touchdowns. This year, uh, nowhere near that pace. Uh, is there an opportunity to uh, buy him at a way lower price than he should be going for in fantasy leagues because of this? Or would you be concerned about the Cousins factor? I wouldn't be concerned because talent is going to be talent. So I would, you know, I wouldn't be concerned at all. This uh, and this 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 feels like a situation where even though Cousins, for whatever reason, has favored Thielen since he's been in Minnesota, I mean it has to at least somewhat even out, doesn't it? Yeah, you you would you would expect it. I would be on the lookout for more of you know the tight end position. You know, starting to take away from both guys um, because I think that's an underrated position on their on their roster. And once they start getting getting involved, then that is going to really uh, take some targets away because I think both guys are real good. Yeah, I was going to say, are you referring to Kyle Rudolph here or Irv Smith? Both. <laughs> I would love to see Irv Smith get a little bit more involved in this passing game. Uh, we've seen him get to flash every uh, now and again so far this season. But, yeah, we really haven't seen anything from these tight ends. But how do you work in the tight end position um, when you have two guys like this who not only – demand the ball so much because of their talent but are funneled the ball so often in the pass game how do you start to work the tight ends in when you know that Thielen and Diggs are going to do what Thielen and Diggs do I think it's all predicated on the matchup you know if they're facing a matchup where a team is weak at safety or weak at linebacker um, then you may see the tight ends go off you know because of that's where the matchup dictates the ball go um so one more thing here on uh, on Thielen and Diggs. Uh, you know, we, we started this as saying that it's the separation of equals, and the equals part is the important part here. Again, these are two guys who, uh, if you take them away from one another, are clearly the wide receiver one on most teams. Uh, that's just what their talent is. That's what their track record is. That's what the, the stats they've put up in their respective careers suggests that they should be. So how do you balance a one and a one A? Uh, and, and I guess it, Kirk Cousins in, in this particular instance makes it a little harder to diagnose. But again, let's say 
uh, they're playing with a better quarterback or they're playing with someone who doesn't lock in on one quarter on one player necessarily. How do you balance guys who are clear equals uh, even if there's no true 50-50 balance between the two? We've seen it before. We saw it in 2018. We saw it in 2016. We saw it in 2017. I think they do a good job of getting both of these guys involved. Um, and it may be a serious, a serious thing. It may be a down, a down thing. If both guys are one A and one B, you're telling yourself that they do that they do similar things. And we've seen two receivers, two really good receivers, have success in an offense to where there's never an issue. Um, it, the issue usually comes when it's one guy that's the the true alpha, and he doesn't have help on the other side. So when he's beating coverage and he's open, he doesn't get the ball. He's going to get frustrated. But in this case. Both of these guys are, are constantly open. They're, therefore, it's the quarterback's problem that he's not getting these guys a football, um, whether it's he taking a sack or he's afraid to throw it deep or doesn't trust you know, that he can put it in the spot where his guy can get it uh, and he's hesitant to pull a trigger. That's the issue. It's, it's, you know, it's not a problem that you have two really good number ones. It's that you have a problem at quarterback. Well, hopefully they can figure it out because uh, last year when these guys went for 215 yards or 215 catches, excuse me, about 2,500 yards and 18 touchdowns together, they were a whole lot of fun to watch. Uh, we hope you had a whole lot of fun uh, listening to this episode of the Advanced Route. Again, we try to bring uh, you fantasy football news from a completely different perspective. Hopefully we did that for you here. Emery. An excellent show again, as always, my friend. Really appreciate your perspective on something I've really, truly always wondered about, about how you uh, figure out things when you have these two wide receivers and how much of one success owes to the other. I think it's a useful discussion to have, and it helps us going forward. So good stuff, my man. Uh, I hope uh, I hope it was fun for you, too, Emery. I hope you enjoyed uh, being able to talk about this. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to, to really parse it like we did because – you know, each situation is different, but it, it definitely makes sense. Yeah, and yeah, uh, something that'll be fun to watch after, after having this discussion. Definitely be keeping an eye on all four of these as the season uh, progresses. Again, uh, thank you for listening. You can get Emery on Twitter at FBall Game Plan. You can get me on Twitter at M Beller. And again, one more time, go ahead and check out that forty percent off deal. Theathletic.com slash the advanced route. Emery and I will be right back with you in this space at this time, but really whenever you want to listen to the advanced route, we are here for you. We'll be back with you with another episode of the advanced route next Tuesday. Until then, have a great week. We'll see you next week on the advanced route.